This morning, um, every, every time after, after our uh, stories, we always talk a little bit about us as a church, Acts. Um, but before I even talk about that, I want to talk to you about a band. Yeah, a band. Early in the 90s, there was this band that jumped onto the scene. I don't know if you guys uh, would know who they are, but they were from Seattle, Washington. And they, they sparked kind of this, this new music scene. And it, it, already people, do your minds already know who? Does it already stand out just from me saying that much? Do people already know? Nirvana. Already people can shout it out, can't you? It's amazing, isn't it? They, this, they, they brought forth this alternative subculture known as grunge. They made it popular. The band, of course, Nirvana, was made even more famous by the anti-hero frontman, Kurt Cobain, um, who, if you ever uh, read stuff about him, he totally like the anti-hero complex of like tons of fame but not even wanting it, and it, lots of struggle with that. And uh, Of course, his suicide uh, made the band forever immortalized, uh, and also uh, sales of their CD have continued ever since, I mean, his death. It ended the band, but record sales that other bands would dream of still happened long after the band fell apart um, because there was such a kind of a, an interesting void left when he committed suicide. In 1992, Nirvana released uh, a, a second single off of their, their CD, Nevermind, and it was the song Come As You Are. And um, it, it's interesting to note um, that if you ever listen to the story, if anyone's a Nirvana fan, does anyone, anyone have Nirvana CDs? Admittedly, yes, I do too. You've listened to them plenty of times. In the song, if you listen to it, towards the end, there's a guitar solo in it, and then it goes into this, this area where he says, Memoria, and if you listen to it, interestingly enough, though, you'll hear from the back in the, in the first track that was laid down, you'll hear uh, his voice come up, and be, it says, and I don't have a gun. What's interesting is if you listen to the track, it's actually an incorrect recording. When he sung the song, he accidentally missung his own song when he did it, and they left it in the track because he liked it. So if you listen to it and you're Nirvana fans, listen to it again, and you'll hear it, and it'll come up, and you'll know an interesting fact about it. But the terminology, come as you are, is wrapped inside this band. As soon as people would hear that, people who've known Nirvana from that generation, uh, X and Y especially, uh, predominantly X, that, that term immediately brings nirvana to mind. It's a terminology that's been there forever. In fact, in 2005, Aberdeen, Washington, which is actually Kurt Cobain's hometown, they replaced the sign that says, Welcome to Aberdeen, and it says Aberdeen, Washington, but underneath the sign says, Come as you are. They actually took and they honored Kurt uh, by taking and adding that to their town sign. That's how much that, that terminology is wrapped in that band. Funny enough, although most Christians from different cultures, would never listen to Nirvana or agree with their lyrics or put forth anything about it because they're front man who killed himself. Outside of Nirvana, perhaps the second most popular community used this terminology, come as you are, is the Christian church. If you search those words, Nirvana is always number one, but number two is always churches. Come as you are, come as you are. Other than Nirvana, definitely the church is second at this. Here at Acts, we have nothing against the, the church. Uh, we have nothing against Nirvana, <laughs> per se. Uh, but we believe that there's a better strategy at meeting people than come as you are. That's how most churches take it. They say the idea is that we're here. People don't have to be a certain way. They don't have to look a certain way. 
they can just come as they are, which we totally agree. And, and I hope you guys feel that this morning. I think we're a pretty awesome cross-section of that as a church, considering the diversity that we have uh, in, in culture, in economic status, in age, in everything. Our church is insanely diverse. Um, but we believe there's something better than that. Instead of just come as you are, um, as a church, we want to meet people where they're at. We don't want to simply sit and say people can come however they are, but we say what we want to do is we want to go and meet them right where they're at in their life. We want to go to them. As a church, we want to meet people basically in three different ways, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We want to meet them right where they sit today. It shouldn't be a surprise for you if you've noticed, if you've been part of Acts Church for any time so far. Um, we didn't come up with this idea again. We, st- we stole it. We pirated it um, from the man who we steal and pirate every single good idea we've ever had from, which is Jesus. As we look through the Bible, we just we're, we're infatuated with Jesus. We're addicted to him. We're crazy about him. When you read his stories, he changes everything. And what we do is we base everything on, on how we do things off of how he did his life because it was the most miraculous uh, 30-some years here on earth. But let me show you a little bit of this today. If you have a few minutes to sit with me and and explore the Bible for a few minutes, I want to show you how Jesus exemplified this and why we believe that it's so important. Jesus showed that in his ministry, it doesn't have to be done inside of a church. He physically met people right where they were at. He traveled a ton. If you look at the stories, man, Jesus was on the road. After he started his ministry, he didn't sit in one place, but he moved all around to different areas and met with people. Not only that, too, but if you look through his ministry, you realize that only a small, small portion of it was done inside of the church. Most of it was done out in the marketplace. It was done on the street corner. It was done out in a field somewhere. It was done next to a lake. It was done right where people worked and right where people lived. And that's a lot of the times where he was actually engaging with people and communicating with them, teaching them. It wasn't inside of a church. I really believe that, that no one is called to part-time ministry. You see, like a lot of people would say, like, you know, you know you're called to like part-time ministry. Are you going to be a pastor? Or are you called to full-time ministry? I really don't believe in either of that. What I believe is that everyone's called to full-time ministry. Everyone. If you're a Christian, you don't get to just be part-time. If you've had Jesus transform your life like he has for me, guess how often I'm doing ministry? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When people look at my life, they're going to see whether or not Jesus is really real to me. And I'm kind of, after I accept Jesus, I'm kind of on the spotlight. And I'm doing ministry 24-7 by how I treat people, by how I act to people, how I react to situations, you know, how, how, I, how I communicate with somebody. All of that is our ministry. So all of us are called to full-time ministry after we give our life to Jesus. Not only that, but Jesus actually, he, he met people's, physical needs. That's what's so cool about it. It wasn't just the fact that he met people's spiritual needs, because we'd expect that, right? Jesus Christ, you know, the Savior, he's going to come and and meet our our spiritual needs. But he met people's physical needs, too, which is so cool. It says this in Luke 13. It says, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. It says, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered them, you hypocrites, 
Does each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he did. This is when Jesus was here, you know what, he didn't just take and meet someone like spiritually and say like, you know, you just need to connect with God because that's the truth, right? He preached this message of, of salvation and he preached the idea that we had to repent and turn to God. But when Jesus was here, he met people's physical needs. He says this woman who's been crippled for 18 years, he says, doesn't today she deserve to be set free from this? Doesn't she deserve to be set free? That's the same thing with us. Person after person, we see that Jesus healed. He didn't only offer an eternal solution, but he offered the temporary solution, a physical solution right here. And that's what we want to be too. We want to offer that, that eternal solution because we know that really Jesus Christ is the one answer. But as well as a church, we want to meet people's physical problems right here. We want to connect with people. We want to help them out. Financial issues. We want to be able to help people. We want to be able to feed people who are hungry. We want to be able to take care of people who can't take care of themselves. Because that's what Jesus did when he was here as well. That's one of uh, the reasons that we have uh, a discipleship plan. In our church, we believe that basically everyone in our church goes through five basic uh, steps. It's the same five steps that everyone who met Jesus went through. Basically, we see that everyone who connected with Jesus was, initially, they were just loved. And then sooner or later, they were saved. They actually accepted Jesus as, as a Savior. Then they spent time with Jesus, and they were educated. Then he trusted them with stuff, and then he released them to do ministry. And we believe that everyone in our church is going to go through the same exact five steps. But the first thing is just simply being loved. And sometimes the, the best thing that could be would be a warm meal or just a hug and just being with somebody and connecting with them and not having to be super spiritual, but sometimes just offering that physical connection. Not only did he meet people physically where they were at, but Jesus met people where they were at emotionally, wherever they were. He took time to connect with people. And even more amazingly, he took time to like experience their emotions. In Luke 7, there's this, uh, there's this awesome... Awesome story. It says that Jesus is coming down, um, coming down this road, right? And it says he comes into this town called Nain. And it says, as he approached the town gate, a dead person was be carry- being carried out. And he was the only son of his mother, so she was a widow. Um, and a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. The story goes on that he takes and walks up and he puts his hand on this casket. And he raises her son back from the dead. But what I think is just as amazing about the story is it says that Jesus, the Savior, when he came in, it says his heart went out to her. It says Jesus experienced her pain. When he walked in and he felt that, he actually experienced the emotion that she was too. And he stopped and felt it. He wasn't so cold. Sometimes churches can be like that, can't they? They can be so cold. Here's your answer, just keep, keep going. But he stopped and he took time to actually like meet with the emotions that she was feeling and experience it. He expected these emotions too, like, and, he, and he respected them when they happened. There's this other awesome story um, that happened when this woman, Jesus was in, a, in a, a home and he was eating, and this woman came in and she broke this, this uh, excuse me, no, this one, she cried, and she cried and cried and cried and wept, and her tears went all over Jesus' feet, and then she rinsed them off with her hair. 
And the people who were there said, Jesus, how could you do this? This woman is a sinful woman. We know her past. She's a, a dirty woman. She's been ever, if you're a prophet, why in the world would you let this woman touch you? And he rebukes them and he says, listen. He says, she's experienced a lot, but he says, you know what, you're forgiven. And he forgives her and he lets her experience that emotion. He yells at the people for yelling about her because he's like, like, it's expected. People have emotions. People can stop. And he gives this woman this time to cry at his feet. And then he says, listen, he says, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. I think it's awesome. He connects with our emotions. And our emotions aren't a bad thing. I think sometimes um, we can feel like when we're down or when we're up, we feel like we're farther or we're closer to Jesus. But you know what? Some days being down, some days being up, all that's okay. You don't have to feel bad about having emotions. That's part of who we are as, as, as Christians. It's part of who we are as humans. Jesus came to this earth and he experienced all the emotion we did. You think he doesn't understand a down day? Jesus experienced everything we did. I guarantee you Jesus had a day that he was, he was down. He had a day and he woke up, even amidst all the other stuff that he was doing, in midst of all the fact that he was the son of God, I guarantee you he had a day that because of being a human, he felt down, just like you have. And he understands it. If you're a Christian, this is just kind of a side note, but it's really true. If you're a Christian, and if you can't put yourself in someone else's shoes, you don't have Jesus in your heart yet. You just have a, you just have a, an idea. Maybe you say, I'm a Christian, just because you went to church or something like that. But if you haven't got to the place yet where you can see somebody hurting, and you can see somebody experiencing something, and if you can't put yourself in their place and feel their pain, you don't have Jesus in here yet. Because that's, that's what he's all about. Jesus met people's emotions and he felt their pain. And if, if you don't do that, if you can't do that, you can't see somebody who's hurting and you can't put yourself in their place, you don't have Jesus in here yet. Maybe you just have a knowledge of him. You need to accept him as in, into your heart and you need to let him change your life because that's what happened to me. Man, I was cold. I was cold before I knew Jesus. I was a bad person. And when Jesus came into my, my, my life, I just began to see how I kept on changing. And it came to the point where now, like, you can feel people's pain. You can see people's pain and you can feel it because it's so real. That's a sign that Jesus is in you. It's a sign the Holy Spirit's in you. Jesus took time to not only let people experience their emotions, but he gave honor to their emotions. And I think we do as well too. And I think sometimes it's easy to just run over somebody because they're experiencing something. But as people, we need to let people have their emotions. You know what I mean? Sometimes you don't need to brighten someone's day. You know, I mean, sometimes people just have bad days. And sometimes they don't want to have a good day. You know what I mean? I, I, sometimes I can't stand those people where you're having a down day and they're like, well, let me see you smile. And you're like, let me punch you in the face. <laughs> Not having a good day. And some days are going to be like that. And we need to let people honor their emotions. It's okay to have a bad day. You're not a bad person for having that. Jesus not only met people physically, emotionally, but he met them right where they were spiritually. Jesus understood that people have different levels of faith. That not everyone has it all figured out yet. I want to I show you two, two stories. And when we put them together, that's where it gets really awesome, okay? The first is in Luke 7. And at the beginning of it, it says this, okay? So scan with me, listen to these stories, keep the details in your memory, okay? It says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. 
the centurion heard of Jesus and, said, and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He's not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following me, said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Pretty cool, right? Says this guy, literally, he asked Jesus, will you come and heal this servant? And when he's still far away off, he's like, you don't have to come all the way to my house, just say it. Just say the word and it'll be done. And most people like, I mean, that seems kind of crazy, but most people I think were skeptical when Jesus came up and literally like laid his hands on him. And he says, you don't have to come all the way here, just say it'll be done and I know it'll be done. And Jesus is just like, wow, like this guy has faith, right? Say the word and it'll be done. But there's another story um, you know, right after this uh, in, in another book, uh, in Mark actually. It says, uh, this man came. And he says to Jesus, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus said, You unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit sought Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to try to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the, the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse, many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to, to his feet, and he stood. Two stories, both with the same ending. Jesus healed somebody, but with two completely different faith levels. The first man came, and he literally didn't even come to meet Jesus. He sent somebody to do it. While he was still a far, far way off, he said, you don't have to come all the way. Just say the word, and I know it'll be done. Jesus said the word, and he was healed. Another man who brought his son talked to Jesus face to face, and his words were, if you can, could you help? And Jesus healed him. He understands that people are at different faith levels. There's some people that maybe in their life, they're at that point where they say, you know what, Jesus, I know if you just say the word, it's going to change. But you might be in the same place this morning to say, man, if I was talking to Jesus, I'd say, if you can. I don't have that kind of faith yet. That's not where I am. But Jesus works in both situations. He didn't treat one person better than the other. He healed both the same way. Didn't matter where they were at in their faith journey. Just as we can get off track by not remembering that salvation does occur at like a definite time. If we give our lives to Jesus, 
man, I believe we're saved. But we can get off track the same way by believing um, that it doesn't take time to work through things. Hear that again. Some people get off track because they believe that, like, when you ask Jesus to come into your life, does something really change? Yeah, something really changes. When you say, Jesus, I need you as my Lord, stuff begins to change immediately, and I believe that you're saved. But also, you can get off track by thinking that everything's going to be figured out that minute. It's not. Faith is an everyday thing, and it slowly keeps growing. And where you're at today is not where you're going to be at six months from now. When you look back, when you get farther down the road, you look back and you realize how far I've come. Faith really is this journey that happens every day. Salvation is the thing you have every single day that you trust your life to Jesus again. But Jesus worked wherever people were at spiritually. Jesus met and loved people in different places in their spiritual life. I want to show you this. Uh, In Mark 10, there's this cool story. It says that people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. I guess they figured that he didn't have time to be able to hang out with these little kids. It says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, though. And he said to him, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. It says that Jesus wasn't too high and mighty to take to get time to get down on their level. And you know what? When I picture this story, because I encourage you guys, when you read the Bible, take time to actually think about the story and put picture to it. I imagine Jesus getting right down on their level, kneeling down so he's about their same height and spending time to be right with them. A kid at the beginning of their spiritual journey wasn't a second-class citizen to Jesus. He took time to meet with them. It's the same thing where we're at as Acts Church. Same exact thing. I'll tell you what, our kids' ministry is not an afterthought. I don't know if you guys have checked it out or not. We spend as much money in our kids' ministry as we do up here because we believe that kids at, at this, this high, they can understand who Jesus is and they can understand him and accept him in their heart. And we believe the fact that when you start teaching kids this, this tall about Jesus, it's going to stick with them for the rest of their life. I'll say this, and I said it before, and I'll say it again. If we had a church of 500 people and 450 were kids, I'd be happy every Sunday. If there were 50 people up here, if we could pay the bills enough to be able to keep feeding those kids goldfish and, uh, and, and teddy grams, I'll tell you what, I'd be happy because I believe that kids, even at a small age, can understand the message of Jesus. And they're not a second-class citizen. They're not an afterthought in our church. Just as Jesus is connected with somebody at the very beginning of their life, these small children, Jesus took time to connect with an evil man in the very last seconds of his life. If you look at Luke, if you ever, guys, if you ever want my, uh, my scripture notes, I could always give them to you, too. Someone the other day was like, can you tell me which ones are which? If you ever want to tell me, I can give these to you so you can reread them, too, um, if you ever want to. But when Jesus went to the cross, it says that he was flanked on each side by another man on the cross, thieves and robbers. And it says that one man basically hurled insults at Jesus, said, if you're the son of God, you know, take yourself off this cross. But the other man rebuked him, and he said, listen, we did what we are up on this cross for. And he said, this man is innocent. And he really did believe that he was the son of God. So it says that this man turned to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turns back to him and says, truly I tell you, today you're going to be with me in paradise. 
the very last moments of this man's life, Jesus met with him, and he changed his eternity. So it doesn't matter if you're at the very beginning of your life, at the end of your life, if you're at the beginning of, of what you believe in faith, or if you, you've had faith and moved mountains, that you've cast out demons and you, you went around the world, Jesus meets with you right where you are. We at Acts believe that no one is ever too far away, never too cold, never too hard, never too mean, too tough, too jaded, too angry, too addicted, too hurt, too cool, too perfect, too pretty, too important, too old, too sinful, to experience the life-changing power of Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're a little kid or if you're a senior citizen. It doesn't matter if you've first time in a church or if you've been in it for your whole life. We believe that Jesus can miraculously change your life. For us at Acts, we want to go beyond waiting inside of church walls for people to come here. Obviously, this isn't even a church, right? We're in a Knights of Columbus hall. But Jesus didn't do it this way, so we don't want to do it this way too. Jesus didn't just sit and say, when people come, I'll tell them. But he went to them. He met them where they were at, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And that's how he connected with them. We want to do this as a church. Here's some, some good examples. This last year, I don't know if you guys know about us or not, but we did this insane thing called Kids Art Day. We had hundreds of kids come to it, and we talked, t- taught them art projects and stuff like that, and we connected with families. We helped out with stuff like the, the Hometown Halloween and, and um, the Miracle on First Street. We do these events where we get out into people's worlds, and we meet with them, not to even necessarily preach at them, but just to connect with them and meet them where they're at. I mean, in another sense, we're going to take, and as we, as we get ready for Easter, we're going to literally go door to door, and we're going to invite people. Because there's some people who they never connect with, with people outside. You know, you can get, you turn, put as much advertisement as you want on the radio and all that, but people aren't going to come unless they get a personal invitation. Because people live in their closed-off boxes, and we want to be able to meet them right where they are and say, you're welcome to come. We'd love to have you. Come and check it out. Come and hang out with us. You know what I mean? Even more so, like the, the things that we do in the, in the community, we don't do it so necessarily even p- someone follows us back to church the next Sunday. We do it so we can change their worldview of Jesus. We, if they don't come to church, that's fine with us. If they don't come to service the next Sunday, that's not a problem for us. But what's a win is if when we go out into the community, when they look at us, they say, okay, these people are different. They say they love Jesus, um, and they actually did something about it. We had the, the mayor comment at one of the last events that we did. He was talking to me. He says, are you guys going to help us again? And I said, yeah. And he says, that's awesome. He says, I was talking to somebody about your church, and um, they were just mentioning, like, you know, what you guys were all about. And he says, well, he says, I'll tell you one thing. They walk their talk. He says, if they say they're going to help, they help. That's the kind of church we want to be, one that helps, one that meets needs of the community. You know, there, there's one more um, aspect, though to the meeting people where they're at. And it's really, it's you. It's you. First and foremost, if you're a Christian, it's you. We can do as much as we want as a church, but the, the best single advertisement for Jesus is you in your life. How you treat people. How you act to people. Sharing your story and sharing where you're at in faith. You know, we had these stories videos last week. I don't know if you guys get it, but what I want you to connect with that is you don't have to be some super educated, super well-speaking um, person to be able to communicate who Jesus is. It's just like telling your story. This is who I was. I met Jesus, and this is who I am. 
People ask you all these questions and they're still firing stuff at you. Well, what about evolution? What about this? I don't know. I don't know about any of that. Not a clue. But I do know that Jesus changed my life. Because you know what? People can argue facts with you, but no one can argue against your story. It's your story. No one can argue against what you tell because that's how you experienced it. And you don't have to argue the case. All you're called to be as a Christian is a witness. And you know what a witness does? They just simply come in and tell their side of the story. You're not a judge to decide what's right or wrong. You're not a lawyer to argue. You're just a witness. You just say, listen, I don't know all that, but I know that Jesus has changed my life. Not only that, though, too, but wherever you're at in your faith journey this morning, Jesus wants to meet with you, wherever. I want to tell you this awesome story, and I don't know if I shared it with you guys or not before, um, but it's this awesome story in Luke 15. Jesus tells a story, and uh, I want to read the whole thing to you, so follow along with me here and, and kind of paint the picture in your mind. So then Jesus said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. So the father divided the property between them. It wasn't long before that younger son packed up his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through the country, and he began to hurt. He signed on with a citizen there who assigned him, to fe- assigned him to the fields to slop the pigs. And he was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. That brought him to his senses, and he said, All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three square meals a day. Here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son, but take me on as a hired hand. So he got right up and went home to his father. And when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out. And he embraced him and he kissed him. The son started his speech, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. It says this, though. The father wasn't listening. He was calling to his servants, Quick, bring a set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring back on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Then get that grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time because my son is here. He was given up for dead and now alive. He was given up for lost and now he's found. And they began to have a wonderful time. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know where you find yourself in your faith journey. You might be this morning realizing that you're that prodigal son. You're that son who's walked away. And you wasted all the things that God might have for you. You've, you've, you've burnt your life out on fast living, on good times. But man, God is so good. This picture of this, of this father and this son is a picture God's trying to paint of God the father and us, his kids. He says, when you come back, you don't come back as a second-class citizen. When you come back and you say, listen, I don't deserve it. Because that's the reality. When we start looking at our lives, we realize that we make messes of them. It says in the Bible that all of us fall short of what God has for our lives. And I know that. We all know that, right? Let's not lie to ourselves. We've all done stuff that's not correct. We've all done things that aren't the best for us. But it says that when we come back to Jesus and we say, listen, I don't deserve it. Would you take me on as a hired hand? It says he doesn't even listen. And he says, no, he says, you're my son. He says, put the ring back on his finger. Go get him sandals. Put a good robe on him. Because today we're going to party. 
because he was dead and he was gone. And that's that same picture that God has for us. He says, when we come back, we don't come back as a second-class citizen. I don't care if you've never known Jesus before. Today, you can start a relationship with him and you're, you're in that family. Or if you knew Jesus and you've walked far away, it says that when you come back, it says God takes you right in as a son again, as a daughter again, and says, welcome back to our family. Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. If you're a Christian, maybe you say, you know what, I I have Jesus Christ. I have Jesus Christ in my heart. Well, then maybe it's just the fact that he needs to meet you right where you're at today. I don't know about you guys, but there's still bad times. Maybe you are a Christian, but there's still hard times. And I believe that Jesus wants to meet you right where you're at as well. Sometimes it's easy to talk about the big things. You know what I mean? Like, it's easy as a Christian to say, like, you know, uh, my, family's, my family's healthy, I'm okay, I'm this, so I don't really need to talk to God about that. But that's not how a father works. If I only talk to my dad every time there was a terrible problem in my life, what would that look like? It looked like a terrible relationship. He wants to hear about stupid stuff in my days, simple stuff, like, what did I do yesterday? This is God's that father. So maybe as a Christian today, it's just saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry because I haven't talked to you in forever. I want you to be part of my daily life. I want you to be part of, of, of what my life looks like. I believe in a Savior who meets us exactly where we are, wherever we are, physically, emotionally, spiritually. All it takes is for us to take that one step towards him. It says in James 4 eight, come near to God, he will come near to you. It's a promise in God's word. It says that if you take that first step towards God, he takes a step towards you. It's not all on us, but we just have to take that step in letting God come near to us. I want to pray this morning to finish, and if you guys would all bow your heads, um, just to give people respect around you if they want to respond. Jesus, I thank you for today. And what I want to offer to you guys out in the crowd today is, is if this morning you say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. Maybe you've never, ever said it before, or maybe you said it before, but it's coming back. And you say, I need to give Jesus control of this life. I need him to come in and change stuff. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand up and just connect eyes with me. Okay, awesome. You can put your hands down. And what I want to do too is if you're, if you're a Christian, you say, listen, I have Jesus in my heart, uh, but I haven't let him in my life recently, and, and I need Jesus to meet with me. Even though I know who he is, to this morning, I seriously just need Jesus to meet with me. Go ahead and raise your hand this morning and connect eyes with me. Okay, I want to pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. I praise you for being such a good God. Thank you, God. What I want to do is, is if you just follow this prayer with me, okay? I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer. We don't do this very often as a church, but I want to try it this morning, okay? And you just follow me in this prayer and repeat after me, but you've got to say it with your heart because my words aren't, aren't what changes stuff. It's you saying it from your heart, okay? Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I welcome you to come into my life and become my Lord to change my situations and if need be, change my life. I accept you as the leader of my life. 
and I trust you for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, guys, for you guys who raised your hand for the first time, it says in the Bible that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is the Lord and we believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, that we're saved. And it's a fact. And this morning, if you guys said that or if you re-said that in your heart, this morning I believe that you've experienced salvation. And what it means is that your sins are washed away from your life. Jesus says that what he does is he takes our sins, all that dirtiness in our life, and he casts it as far as the east is from the west, and it's not on us anymore. And we're set free from that. We can experience brand new life, made new. We begin to live that salvation every single day. Connect with people. Come talk to me. If you, guys, if you guys did that this morning, I'd encourage you. Come connect with me and just talk with me for a few minutes about what's going on. I'd love to pray for you guys individually. I'd love to keep praying for you guys in these next weeks that God would just continue to keep revealing himself to you as how real he is and keep changing you.